Dave Siminski. The legend, the myth, the icon himself, Jim Inglis. How are you doing? I'm doing well. And this is uh, Jim English and Super Dave. And we usually talk a little NBA. But from time to time on my podcast, we dedicate a podcast to somebody who has recently passed, somebody close to us. This isn't the first time we're doing it. And Dave is gracious enough to come on and talk about his sister. So we want, this is a memorial for his sister. It's dedicated to his sister and the relationships they had. Dave, introduce the audience, please, to your sister. Thank you for this opportunity, Jim. It's a, it's a wonder how you do so many different topics on your podcast and different uh, genres and experiences and the human experience. And uh, it's been fun to do some of the sports we've done. But when you made this offer, I thought it was wonderful. And I, I think the fact that uh, you also suggested in our NBA podcast that we dedicate it to an old friend. So I really appreciate this opportunity, Jim. And I would like to introduce people to my sister. And as I was thinking about this, Jim, it seems like there's sibling relationships that have different dynamics. And there's this kind of brothers uh, that are about the same age and a, a lot of brothers that are in a family that have a big spread of ages. And there's, there's sisters that are the same age and an older sister, younger sister. Uh, but to me, there's a special relationship that I had that makes me think of the relationship between a, a younger brother and an older sister. Because uh, I was born back in Connecticut, uh, Jim. Dave, I'm sorry to interrupt. Can you tell us her name, please? Her name is Barbara Wolfolk, and her middle name is my last name, Barbara Semensky Wolfolk. Thank you. Okay. And uh, I was born 11 years after her. And so you can imagine we were the only two in the family. And so uh, she was my instant babysitter. But uh, she grew to be my uh, my idol growing up because she she was such a uh, not only good to be a, a, to a small brother like myself, but she was a, a, such a intelligent person because uh, when we moved to California in 1950, uh, I think this is the best example of uh, what kind of a person she was. So I was three years old. She's 14 years old. And can you imagine, Jim, to be in the back of a 1950 Pontiac going 3,000 miles across this, uh, the United States with a bratty little three-year-old brother? It's, <laughs> it, had to be, it had to be really uh, a painstaking experience for her. But yet all my memories, whatever uh, I do have of that, have been, were positive. I never, I can't think back in my mind anything that ever happened negative between my sister and myself uh, when, when the opportunities were there for sure. Because when we got to California, we ended up being roommates together until we got a, uh, an addition to the house where she could have her own bedroom. And you can imagine, Jim, a teenage, a teenage girl in California having to live with her little snot-nosed little brother and all his uh, stupid friends that would come over. But they would, she would actually take us to the movies in Uptown Inglewood, uh, you know, with three or four of us and just herself when I know she'd rather be with her girlfriends or doing something else. But uh, that relationship lasted 75 years until last uh, December 30th, 2022. Uh, she would have been 86 years old on the next day on December 31st, but she passed away, Jim, uh, six days, six days after being diagnosed with cancer. Whoa, that is quick. It is. And, you know, and it's highly unusual, like you've already pointed out in the brief four and a half minutes we've been on the podcast. It's very unusual for a teenage girl to have such a relationship with a little brother that is 11 years younger than him. I mean, that's you know, you'd think she'd be off doing other things, but sounds like she carved out part of her life as a teenager to get close to you and stay close to you. She did. And and when you think about those 
formative years of our lives, Jim, and, and who influences you? You know, you, of course, our parents are the big uh, uh, pillars of strength in our life. But I had like almost, it, but it was different than a second mother because it was a friend. Uh, but it, the big sister part of her, we, we would listen to the old time radio shows of the 1950s, you know, Inner Sanctum and The Shadow and uh, Jack Benny's show and uh, Gunsmoke. I mean, I listened to all these radio shows because my sister listened to them, and that was our entertainment. We didn't have a TV when we first moved out here, and when we did, we had a, a small black and white, one of the first on our block, by the way, and of course, the whole family had to watch TV together and that. So that time together with my sister in, in, our, in our bedroom together uh, was, is just such a, a strong influence and positive force in my life. She ended up, uh, Jim, going to the high school where I graduated from in 1965, Inglewood High School. Uh, but in 1954, she was valedictorian of Inglewood Whoa. High School. Does that tell you and about her intelligence? Did she? Well, actually, knowing you, Dave, I'm frankly not all that surprised. Because <laughs> uh, I, as I recall from our other podcast, that you beat a grandmaster one time in chess. So we know you have a vast reservoir of intellect. So we know it's congenital now, as far as from your from your uh, genetic from your genes. So, like, what are some of your best memories of her? in your early childhood you mentioned listening to listening to the radio and by the way that's such a foreign concept to the people right now because hardly anybody listens to the radio now so that was a special family time because there was no tvs in the very early 50s but what are some of your memories about her from your early childhood well, let's focus on that because yeah, you brought up a very good point, and that's what I, I realized when I brought that up. That there's not a lot of people would quite understand what those radio shows were like. Number one, number two, very few that aren't uh, my age or older have ever uh, have ever spent the time. And normally, a kid my age would not be listening to that unless unless he shared a bedroom with an older sibling, which I did, and. I, I, the one thing I remember, Jim, is that I respected the fact that I knew I didn't quite understand what I was listening to, but I also understood that my sister was not annoyed by me listening with her. So what I did, Jim, was I, 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 I tried to absorb and understand what I was hearing without asking her a bunch of stupid questions, you know, but it wasn't like she wouldn't answer me, but it, it, it brought us closer uh, Jim, and then as she went through high school, uh, her girlfriends would come over, Jim, and that's when I first started realizing I was for sure I was heterosexual. <laughs> I, <laughs> I started to notice things that I wouldn't have noticed with my peer group from my sister's girlfriends. And I, I, I told her just a few months ago, I said, "Who was that girl, uh, Barbara?" That that, had, that wore those Angora sweaters and had the metallic rim glasses. Since, oh, oh, that was, uh, what, what was her name? Uh, she told me her name, Dorothy something or other. And uh, I, I, I told her that I just, and, and I'm sure people, kids today don't know what Angora sweaters are, Jim. No, they don't. <laughs> or those glasses either. Yeah, those glasses. Were, they were, they were, I just remember they were kind of a glossy, uh, purplish uh, magenta type and it and she had pretty eyes and i'm just staring at and of course the angora sweater uh accentuated her healthy lungs uh that she nice. carried with her yeah i was gonna say i'll bet you weren't staring just at the eyes no i wasn't so <laughs> it was it, that was quite an experience but then uh, hey, go, go ahead. ahead well i was gonna say she, she, you know, the radio was unique. And by the way, if millennials or boomers want a glimpse into what it was like, there's a, um, a Woody Allen movie called Radio Days. Oh, yeah. And, which is an excellent movie about a family because that used to families in the 40s 
And in the, you know, in the thirties used to huddle around the radio. That was, you know, everybody would get together and listen to the radio. They listen to sports on the radio. They listen to music on the radio. So that kind of movie describes that era. Cause you know, during, you know, during world war two, which you and I, you know, I wasn't born yet. You don't remember. Um, you were born in the late stages of it. You know, that's where families got the news about what was going on was over the radio. So I think it's excellent that that you uh, got exposed to that from her perspective. Now, did she have a profound influence on your musical taste at that point in time? Uh, you know, that's a, that's an interesting question because I don't remember us listening to much music. I remember uh, that that's really interesting, Jim, because I've never tried focused on that, but I, you know, I got into Elvis in 1956. Okay. And by that time she had graduated and she went on to the university of uh, Riverside. So uh, I kind of got, I, I guess I got accustomed to the radio uh, because of her. And then when, and then I sort of segued over to music when she was gone. And that's when I got into rock and roll. So I don't remember much about what her taste was in music. Although I, I actually uh, a, a few months ago played some songs that I remember uh, that were from her era that she and I listened to the wayward wind. Uh, oh, Dodie, Dodie. Oh, yeah, I can't yeah. think of her name. Yeah, great song. Yeah, yeah. So songs like that that she and I listened to, and she said, "Oh yeah, I do remember that song." I said, "Yeah, I know you do because we listened to it together." So that's yeah. excellent. Yeah. So and the fact to be like you said, being introduced to and one thing you you'd mentioned about the millennials and the generation X people and the young people that are listening, if they would Google that. Uh, they'll find some of those radio shows, but if they if they listen to snippets of them, Jim, they're going to think they're so corny and stupid. But remember, we're talking about the '50s, and TV didn't ra ha really have any content yet, and they had these dramas that went back all the way to the '30s and '40s, and they kind of honed the skills of dramatizations. And I'm a guy, Jim, that I love to use my imagination as an artist, as a writer. And I think that's some of the roots of my uh, intellect there is because radio forces you to, to create your own pictures, your own images. Right. <clears throat> and as corny as it may seem listening to them now, uh, at the time, they were really novel entertainment that, that wasn't found anywhere in fact it was even worse on tv when you saw playhouse 90 and some of the some of the things they did have uh even though filmmaking and uh, was was you know much more had a, a much longer history uh but anyway it was a it was a rich experience and it's all through uh the the, the eyes and association with my sister so when you have a relationship from birth with a sibling, uh, and, and Jim, that that lady changed my diapers. Think about that. Really? Yeah. So I can't picture you. I know it's hard to imagine. <laughs> you know, I was a big boy, but uh, uh, you know, I still had to go through the normal progression there <laughs> of adolescence. But uh, yeah, it, that's when they had cloth diapers and exactly and, and uh, bobby pins and. And bobby pins. That's right. It wasn't these. It wasn't these disposable diapers that take two times, you know, two seconds to do. So tell us more about about some of your old memories of her as roommates. That must have been interesting dynamic. It was. It was. And and once again, having uh, such an intelligent sister who tolerated me, and more than tolerated me, she. She was. She didn't have uh, any problem with me getting into her life. Now she used a slide ruler. Do you know what a slide ruler is, Jim? I do. Okay. I well, do. I, I had never seen one before. It was the most bizarre-looking contraption. But I would st stand by her desk and I would watch her use the slide rule, and and she'd tell me a few things about it. So my education went so deep 
through my sister's eyes and ears. And I, and I think it's a rare association. And, and that's why I, I so welcomed you uh, giving me this opportunity to share this because it's, it's really not often I get a chance to share much of this. They just feel sorry for me that I lost my sister, but I lost a, a part of my youth too, uh, Jim. That's what that she meant to me. So sharing me with, uh, with that, uh, the, what she did with her, uh, with her homework, with, with the, uh, the mechanics of the slide rule was, was fascinating, but she had, now don't think, I don't want you to think wrong of me here, Jim, but she had a doll. I don't know where it got, it was a realistic looking doll. And for some, some, I don't know where the clothes came from. I should have asked her that I never did, but this doll had all kinds of clothes that were hand knit. I think my mother made some of them and she made some, of them. I don't know, but it was a, and it had a little suitcase and it had all these, these different outfits. Okay. And she would sit it by the fireplace. And when we sit down as a family, I'd open up that thing and I'd take the doll out and I would change the clothes. I would just, I, I had the greatest time playing with her doll as a kid in front of the fireplace. No, I understand. I understand. Well, it's, it's a fascination. You were what, four or five years old. Yeah, or four or five like years that. old. And I'm, and I see this little mannequin thing and it's got realistic clothes on and stuff. And it, it was, it was fascinating, you know, and, it was, and then I would put, uh, put different, uh, different pants with different uh, blouses and stuff. It, it was just fascinating. And, uh, you know, I, I never at the time and thinking back, and I don't think it did anything with my, uh, with my sexual orientation, but it was a, it was a fascination. In fact, it probably, uh, had another dimension to my artistic background because I think uh, with my wife now and uh, with girls in general, I was always interested in fashion. Uh, and I probably could at some point become a fa fashion designer, but uh, I, I took more to the graphic world of art. So, but that, those are the early uh, embryo starts of my uh, stimulation was the, the things that were provided by my sister. Uh, there's a funny story here, Jim, about... Uh, when, when Barbara made a five-layer cake, she somehow saw a recipe or something, and she didn't do a lot of cooking with my mother. My mother was a really good cook, but she did occasionally uh, do some baking. And so she was really proud of this five-layer cake that took her all day, maybe two days to make it. And uh, it had all this, uh, every layer had a different sort of icing on it. And she finished it up, and she and my parents were going to the to, to the store to get something, uh, maybe the groceries. And my sister, knowing me like she did, she goes up to me and says, so "David, do not touch that cake." I go, "I won't, Barbara. I won't. I won't touch it." And so they went off to the store. Well, I'm sorry to say, Jim. I, I did try to get the, some of the icing off the edge of the cake. But what happened was one of the, one of the big tragedies in my life, the cake, uh, five layers of it, Jim, fell off the <laughs> counter on the floor. Oh, my God. I, I was horrified. I was just horrified. So I, 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 I ran... I got a scooper. I scooped it off the floor. I put it up on the counter and I spent the next hour and a half reconstructing it layer by layer, inch by inch with my artistic ability at its peak, trying to mold the cake to make it look like it did before. And I, I took a couple of steps back, looked around. I touched, touched up the icing. All the colors were right. I thought, okay, I think I think I might I might be able to get away with this. Well, shortly thereafter, my parents and my sister come home, and I sort of uh, I'm hanging around the kitchen when they bring the stuff in, and my dad brings some puts some groceries right next to the cake, and he you know, of course doesn't notice anything. My mother goes over in that same area. I'm watching her. She doesn't say anything. She sees the cake sitting there. Then my sister comes in, Jim. She didn't get three feet into the kitchen. And she said, 
David dropped the cake. <laughs> not, not that I touched it. Not, she knew I dropped it. She, she, I was, I, that was, is funny. I, I cannot believe she didn't get. I, I don't remember any of the repercussions of that at all, Jim. I was very young, but it it just showed you how much my dear sister put up with 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 me as her little brother. Well, and it's, it, you know, once again, I'm going to hearken back to it's fascinating that a teenage daughter, so 11 years difference. Yep. So you were a pain in the butt, annoying five-year-old when she was 16. Yes. And going through what 16-year-old girls go through and finding that their brothers are annoying and they ignore them and they don't want them around. But it sounds like that this was the opposite. It was. And, she, and that's a remarkable. Tell us about that. Well, I mean, that's a special kind of person. No, I'm glad you put it in that perspective. Because when you go when you go 516 uh, is a little bit different than a ba baby of 11 years old. But yeah, at 16, yeah, she had things that she wanted to do. And, and still, with, with all that backdrop, Jim, there is not a negative thought in my mind uh, of, about my relationship with her. Here's another thing that, that, that should have annoyed her. And, and she, she brought this up. I didn't bring it up. She brought it up months ago when we've, we were reminiscing about our childhood. She remembered what I used to do, Jim. Once again, we shared a bedroom. And at the doorway. I don't know how I even did this, but I was able to prop some things, not heavy things, but up on the, the ledge of the door so that when she opened the door, they would fall down on her. <laughs> and it's just a bugger, but she didn't really get that mad about it. It was just my little practical joke, but it was something that, that I think other sisters would have taken a, a lot different and probably smacked me, but no, that's not my sister. It was yeah, I could see how you'd be full of mischief. Yeah, it was, and that that she tolerated that totally. So, so when you were so once again eleven, so eleven years difference. So you were probably seven when she went off to college. Yes, and that's right? the next stage that I was going to tell you about. Yeah, let's talk about your relationship while she was in college and you were home. Okay. Well, she goes to college at the University of Riverside, and we lived in Inglewood. And Riverside's about oh, an hour and a half, two-hour drive, uh, maybe maybe longer from from Inglewood. And my parents would go. She she uh, roomed off campus, uh, so she she uh, had a, a a room with a an older lady in a residential part of town. So we would drive out there every weekend to, to get her to groceries and whatever she needed. And my parents, especially my mother, knew that I hated driving. I hated going places and going out to Riverside with the heat. Uh, it, wasn't, it was far worse than Inglewood. And I had my friends and I want to be playing ball. And, you know, it was another pain in the ass that I was. Uh, but what my, my mother figured out, she said, look, at there was a neat hobby store uh, right near where the market was, where they shopped for my sister. Well, when my mom figured out about that, she says, look, it, if, you, if you're a good boy, we'll get you an army uh, truck in this. Because they had these realistic looking army trucks, Jim. And I had, a, I had a whole army set that I built a fort in the backyard uh, in dirt and mounds and, uh, and foxholes and, and all kinds of stuff. And they had these- I remember- yeah. Do you remember those things? Oh, yeah, those green army men. Exactly, those green army oh, men. Oh, yeah. Uh -huh. but, they, but this hobby store, Jim, had these these military vehicles that, like there was one that I'll never forget this one. It had a, a wheel, a spare tire on top of the cab of the truck. Well, if you turn the wheel, it turned the front wheels of the, of the truck. So you could drive it around like a real truck. So every time I'd go there, I would get a new army truck or vehicle, a tank, a big uh, uh, troop truck or something and stuff. So that 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 was tolerated uh, tolerated the drive for me. And then of course, you know, we'd have uh, go out to dinner with my sister and everything, and everything was fine. But 
then I got to see her campus and where she was a microbiology major. <clears throat> so she worked in labs. And that was kind of fascinating. And, and one of the early gifts that I remember her getting for me that wasn't from my parents, it was directly from her, was a microscope. She got me a microscope and, and taught me what I was looking at through the microscope. And I, I remember distinctly getting some water, just I, just some the ambient water. And when she showed me what was in the water uh, through the microscope, I was just blown away. And it was another <laughs> inspirational moment in my life that my sister shared with me. Uh, and, and it just shows how our relationship developed like that. So it was, uh, uh, it was something really special. So the whole collegiate experience was uh, an interesting one, especially towards the end, Jim, when she, she got her first serious boyfriend. Were you jealous? Uh, a very good question. I don't think I was jealous. Uh, and the reason was because she'd already gone away. I, I, I lost her when she went to college and I only got to see her on weekends and holidays. So I was used to it. It wasn't something like, uh, and, and once again, she always shared her girlfriends with me when she lived at home. And now she was sort of introducing me to her boyfriend. Well, her boyfriend was another you know, genius type, uh, ultimately becoming a professor, and they were in the same de microbiology department. But I remember distinctly when we went to a picnic uh, on the first time we did some social outing uh, with uh, my sister and her boyfriend, and he saw me reading Mad Magazine, which was one of my <laughs> favorite reading materials of the time. What, me worry? Yes. Alfred exactly. E. Newman? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, uh, my brother-in-law's name was Cliff. And Cliff teased me mercilessly about reading Mad Magazine, okay? And I realized very early on that he was teasing me. And it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't vicious. But I had, a, I had an answer for him. And once again, it was an intellectual uh, exercise for me to to hang with older people than me, like I did with my sister, and try not to not only not be annoying, but to be able to, uh, you know, in, in integrate with them on some. Uh, sure, contribute level. to the conversation. Yes. Yeah, and not be a little kid that says little kid, stupid little kid things, and you don't want to have them around. So I was very conscious that I was that much younger. So I told him, and this was uh, 1956. I re the reason I know that is because uh, Mad was doing a whole spread on the the uh, presidential candidates, uh, Adlai Stevenson and 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 Jack Kennedy and uh, uh, Hubert Humphrey, I think, some of those those yeah. politicians of the mid fifties. And yeah. I told I told Cliff, I said, look, I learned about politics. I didn't know anything about politics until I. I read Mag Mad Magazine, and I know about advertising uh, and, and what they try to do to sell products because of the, the spoofs they make uh, you know, in, in the magazine. And I've learned about movies that I, I, I'm too old, I'm too young to see, but yet they spoof them, and I kind of understand what they're about. So I'm learning a lot uh, from this. So I felt like I had a, a, a sparring partner and he wasn't, like I said, he wasn't cruel to me, and I and I wasn't jealous of him. And I thought to myself, well, I think she's got a she's got a good uh, a good potential husband. And indeed, they did they did marry shortly thereafter. And once again, I was integrated into that when when he showed me a little bit more because he was a research uh, uh, lab technician in the microbiology department. And ultimately, uh, became a professor. So. He showed me things and showed me how to use the microscope even more than my sister did. So that relationship through college just uh, was another growing experience for me, uh, Jim, that was, uh, it's unforgettable. You know, when you're doing podcasts, and thanks for sharing this, and I want to get back to your sister for a second, but I want to digress just for a little bit, is what you're getting here when you listen to this, you're getting a piece of nostalgic Americana. 
things like the, uh, well, you just talked about Mad Magazine. And that was a crazy magazine of the 50s and 60s that was full of very funny things that everybody read. Also, you know, Dave, Super Dave, you were talking about your your army men, which all boys in the 50s and 60s had. They had their cadre of army men. Also, the radio days, um, all these other things, the microscope, the slide rule. The slide rule was a calculator before there were calculators. Exactly. Uh, you know, so this is been a fun walk down memory lane. So you used an interesting expression and I wanted to just explore it a little bit. Did you feel like when you, when your sister Barbara went off to college that you had lost her? You used that word. So I'm kind of curious. Is that the way you felt or no, was she moving no. on? Uh, it was uh, an experience in life that I once again tried to, I didn't try, I understood it. I understood that we go through this maturing process. Cause remember I watched her go all through high school and then I watched her in the early days of college. And then I saw him later on. And then I, I realized that sequence that I don't think I would have been aware of without seeing somebody in my own family going through it. And, and, and even the marriage was an interesting experience, Jim. And, and before I get to that, let me just, tag on to what you said, which I think, I, and I didn't think about it until you brought it up, is the, the slices of Americana that I'm sharing. And you cannot, Jim, it's, it's hard for you to YouTube this, to read up on this, to Google it, to write, read books on it. You're talking, you're listening to somebody right now that lived through it, that lived through these experiences, and they'll never be seen again, Jim. That's a, that's a part of Americana that is that is gone uh and 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 when when eyewitnesses like myself and you and people of our generation are gone uh you're going to rely on whatever is left over in the archives and it's not the same as hearing it directly from me and i'm putting it in context for you it's not just seeing uh what the technology was what the entertainment was like what the experiences was like i'm telling you from the inside out, what it was for me as a maturing process, as a young man, uh, as, a, as, a, as somebody that grew intellectually through the benefits of my parents, my sister, my friends, and my, my experiences with entertainment and education. So these are things that, uh, and, and it's because of your curiosity, Jim, Jim because I, I didn't ask you for this. You, you suggested this podcast, and I thought, I would like to talk about my sister. And I think we've revealed some things, Jim, that uh, I, I didn't anticipate were going to come out of this conversation. Well, and that's part of the beauty of podcasting is the fact that you get, you know, there's, there's the subject matter and then there's the byproduct of the subject matter. And also, too, is I've done a couple of memorials um, with friends of mine who had lost people close to them. And it is it is really interesting to me the you know the unique relationships that exist, and also too is the fact that your sister Barbara was so willing to share her life rather than dismissing you as an annoying child that it probably I no doubt accelerated your development as a child, as a teenager, as a young man, and as a man, way faster than if you hadn't had her. Oh, for sure. For sure. And the experiences uh, uh, in life, you don't, and that's why I started off this podcast telling you uh, how I I perceived other sibling relationships and the dynamics are, are so different. But this one of older sister and younger brother is one that I lived through and I can share the experience for those that have never, never experienced it because it's unique. This, it wasn't a big family. It was a little family. So it was a, a small sample size, but I think that relationship could be used as a, uh, as a prototype. If you wanted to understand what growing up in the, 
the 40s, 50s, and 60s was like, and what the relationship with uh, in those periods was between a younger brother and an older sister. And I'm and I'm kind of proud of the fact that how I ended up, I can't take full credit for because it was I didn't choose any of those dynamics of my youth, but there they were, Jim, for me to learn by, uh, and it was a, a pure benefit. And that leads me back to my uh, situation when my uh, sister got engaged to Cliff. And then I learned another relationship, Jim. That was mother with young bride. Yes, tell us about that. Oh, oh, oh my gosh. It was the, the, the fights, the yelling and screaming in the house I had never heard before because my dad was a tranquil, calm, uh, just one of the sweetest men. In fact, I tell people, that uh, it's not, it's just a, a luck of the draw, but uh, the nicest person I've ever met uh, on, on the planet earth in my 75 years is my dad. Okay. Well, when he would get, when his, uh, my mother would get mad and she was a very volatile person. She had a, she had, you know, highs and lows and stuff. And, and, and was uh, when, when she'd get really mad at him, he'd just go out to the garage and just sputter around. He'd never talk back to my mother. I never saw my father, angry jim wow never ever saw my father really angry he'd get mad at some little things but yeah i'm just talking about annoyances but never never angry in my entire life never saw him my mother exact opposite okay so now my sister's getting married and the and we're gonna have the the wedding at our house in Inglewood. Okay. So the logistics are such that we've got to plan everything and it's got to be planned around the house. And there's, and there's got to be wedding dresses picked and food picked and stuff. And uh, I don't know what the specifics were, Jim. I just know that the, the stress and the tension in the house was, was, was electric and not in a good sense. It was in a well, short circuit uh, all through the house. And uh, it was uh, uh, something that I, I, I don't know if it happens in all houses, but it happened between my, my mother and my sister. Uh, and it was, uh, it was frightening to see for a young, for a young man. But uh, when you see pictures, in fact, I think, didn't I send one to you with me and my sister at the wedding? Yeah, you did. Yeah. Well, there, there I am, a little 10-year-old kid uh, next to my big sister, and that's when she was taller than me. And uh, I, it, it, I, I wasn't like my dad, but I, I just took it as an experience, and I didn't get involved in it. Ironically, after my sister left uh, from and marriage and, and, and college and everything, uh, I learned how to cope with with my mother and it helped me later in life, Jim, cope with the, the, the public when I became a, a, you know, a, a supervisor in the recreation and parks department and with the public when I worked in retail sales and the ice cream business. So I've had experiences that actually taught me how to deal uh, with, uh, you know, acrimony and, and anger and, and things that are beyond your control on when somebody's, uh, getting uh, upset and and you have to calm them down. Well, I I learned through my experiences with my mother, but that was another learning experience for me, Jim. And it was uh, it was just beneficial in the long run. And so your sister your sister got married and and moved away. How did you maintain your relationship with her when she moved? Was she close by? Actually, you said you're. Your uh, brother-in-law was a professor at Riverside, so I assume that no, they moved he, he to Riverside later. He he was he was a professor in the University of Irvine, but he he ultimately oh, became. But he was uh, uh, he was either the same age as Barbara or a year a year older. I, I don't know if they were the same grade in school, but they ultimately both went up to the University of Washington uh, up north. So uh, that's when I. I sort of lost a, a little touch with my sister because she, you know, she had moved away there. And uh, after 
years and years of, uh, she got her master's degree. He, uh, he got his doctorate degree. Uh, and then they moved down to Orange County and he became a professor. And my sister taught at the uh, University of Irvine. Oh my gosh, this is a smart family, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yes. And did you, when, when she moved back, what, did you, did you become close again or did you, how did that work with your relationship with your sister? Well, it, it was a case that, that she had, she had two kids. So she was raising a family down there. So we, we really uh, only saw each other on uh, holidays and uh, anytime I'd go down there. When I'd have a girlfriend uh, that I thought was, uh, you know, somewhat serious, I would tell them about my sister and brother-in-law and we'd go down uh, to Orange County and then uh, they would take me over to the the University of Irvine lab and I kind of impressed the girl that I have, you know, I have a, a genius for a sister and a brother-in-law. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they teach at the Irvine. You know, I was kind of, it's kind of, uh, you know, I was, I was pretentious on my part, Jim. I, I apologize for that. But hey. I, I tried to impress the girl. Hey, I got to tell you, anytime you're impressed trying to impress a girl, uh, all is fair. I guess Love I guess that's good, but it's it's shameless. It's shameless, but that's what I was doing. But it, but it, it was a good uh, excuse to see my sister, uh, and my brother-in-law, and my nephew, and my niece. Well, when when I moved into uh, my apartment in Manhattan Beach, which was ironically right around the time I met Randy Larson, uh, I'll never forget one of the first gifts my sister sent me because she knew I, I had a good relationship with my parents at home and I stayed there uh, into my early 20s when I when most kids are moving out. Well, I, I didn't have any reason to move out because I had a mother who was a great cook. I loved my dad. My dad and I loved watching sports together. We went to Dodger games together. We played catch together. My mother cooked and washed for me, so I had no reason to move out. But when I got an apartment, a penthouse apartment in Manhattan Beach, I moved out, and the, the first Christmas gift I remember is my sisters bought me a prescription to Playboy magazine, Jim. <laughs> You're kidding. No. And I just thought, I just, it was such a creative thought on her part. And I just, I just thought, there's my sister taking care of me again when I'm, you know, when we don't seem that much of each other anymore, you know. But there she was thinking about me, young bachelor on the loose in Manhattan Beach, and she, gets me a, a prescription to a, a subscription to uh, Playboy magazine. That's my sister. Actually, it's more a prescription for a young yeah, man. Well, that just... too. <laughs> well, uh, you know, it's probably the greatest gift you ever got. Well, the greatest gift I ever got was my parents, and second was my no, I know, was I know, my I'm sister and my wife. So I, I, no, I understand, I understand, but you know, I, you get my drift there. I yeah. mean, very appropriate. It was, it was, that was very appropriate, but very surprising. You know, you know, yeah, under the Christmas tree, you expect to find, uh, uh, you know, a, a shirt, uh, some slippers. Uh, yeah, no, but I, I got a Playboy a subscription. <laughs> No wonder you were so close to her. <laughs> yes, yeah, there are a lot of a lot of reasons. So as as life goes on, you guys remain close, but didn't see a lot of each other, or you saw a lot of each other. How was your relationship as you were going through your journeys of raising kids and such? Well, uh, both of our lives became, you know, they had the two kids that were. Uh, into swimming programs, and I wasn't a, a big swimming fan, and so I didn't go to many of their their activities. Uh, meanwhile, my my dad uh, got cancer, and and after he retired, and I had to help him around the yard. Uh, I had uh, I got married and had uh, you know and and, and had uh, a couple of kids, so my life got complicated with my my work on all the things I got into. So yeah, we sort of drifted apart uh, you know, in terms of a distance and uh, time seeing each other as our lives sort of evolved in different directions. But you still had that bond 
and you never lost the mutual respect. Never. The love. Yes. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but that's what it sounds like to me. No, that's exactly right. And uh, yeah, and the fact that we didn't see each other for long periods of time. You know, I have, I don't know about you, Jim, I have friends that I, I don't see even once a year. Uh, maybe it's years before, uh, before I get together with them, but there's still, there's, there's, a, there's a bond there that when we do get together, it's, it's no different. And these, the last year of my sister's life, and I can't, I can't go into this, Jim, because it's, uh, uh, there's, a, there's a negative thing that happened to my sister, and it's going to be in litigation now. And it was just a, it was a horrifying experience. But, but I felt, Jim, that I needed to be there for my sister when she needed me most because she was there when I needed her most. And we became closer than we ever had. I mean, even back to the early days, Jim, we became closer in the last year of her life than we ever did. And the, the other bonus I got was that she became close to my wife, where they were not uh, going back to the experience of bringing the girlfriends down to uh, to the, the college and showing off yeah. my sister and brother-in-law. Well, this one girl I brought there, gorgeous, gorgeous girl, six foot tall, Jim, six foot tall. I brought her there and they kind of felt my, my brother-in-law and sister felt, kind of thought she was perfect for me. Uh, I had dated her while I was at Long Beach State and the, they really, really were, were impressed with her and, and really thought it was a great, great match for me. Well, uh, it turned out uh, it, it wasn't the perfect match and she went off to New York and I got I dated a bunch of other girls and then I brought, brought my current wife down to see, to see them. And they sort of felt like it was, um, I don't know. She didn't do anything to warrant this, but they, she wasn't approved of like the other girl was. I, and I think it was because the other girl was so well liked by them. And so that relationship got off to a bad start with my sister and my wife. And, and through the years, it didn't get much better. You know, it wasn't that. But the last year, because my wife was helping me as much as I was helping my sister, we all became close. And the, the real tragedy is the fact that uh, outside of a, a, an unfortunate accident in 2019, when uh, my brother-in-law died of a heart attack and my sister suffered a head injury, uh, she was healthy her whole life. My sister was healthy. So she's been healthy uh, th this last year that I've been working with her, but we had some, some legal problems that I had to help manage for her and, and some uh, domestic living situations after her husband died that I was helping her with. Well, I, I get her relocated, Jim, after months and months of uh, it was an unbelievable, difficult situation. But I got her in this beautiful facility in Irvine, and she got sick a, a day to, or two after moving in. And we had oh. a nurse go see her, and they took her to the hospital uh, to see what was going on. And they, she had fluid on her lungs, and the doctors drained the fluid. <clears throat> the doctor called me and said, uh, you're, you're, I, I drained some fluid from your sister, but the next day it came right back. He says, that's not a good sign. I'm going to test the test what's in that. Well, a, another day goes by and he says, uh, it, we found out that your sister has stage four lung cancer. My sister oh my never, never smoked like I had never smoked in my life. So it, it didn't have anything to do with that. It was just it came out of nowhere. She didn't have any symptoms. She was doing fine. We went out to dinner with her and spent you know many many days with her, uh, and she was absolutely fine. And so the diagnosis went to she had months to live, to weeks to live, to days to live, and Jim she died six days after being diagnosed with cancer. Wow. Well. It doesn't sound like she did a whole lot of suffering, at least. Huh? No, she no, she didn't. That's the that's the the silver lining. But uh, it was it was such a shock. It was such a blow. When, like I said, the the rapport and the relationship with my wife and my sister was so beautiful to see. 
the closeness that I experienced again with my sister, the reminiscing gym that we did. Just what I'm talking to you about on this podcast was part of the, the things that my sister and I went over. And you can imagine, Jim, when when my parents have been died for many years, I don't have uh, uh, many cousins left that I can talk to that were close to the situation. So my sister kind of filled me in on the gaps in my life that, that she lived through that I don't remember the first four or five years of my life, but she was there through it all. So it was just fun, and it was I enjoyed being with her as much as I ever did. And it, it was just cruel to my sister, cruel to me to be taken away after, you know, kind of a renaissance of our relationship uh, was uh, in the last year. But uh, uh, all I have is the most fond memories, and, and I'm, I'm just so thankful to you, Jim, uh, to, to allow me to share these Oh, I'm happy to do it. Well, you know, and it's it's interesting listening to this is that, you know, and it's got to make you feel good that she was there as a loving sister early in your life when you needed it. And you were there, you and your wife were there for for Barbara later in life when she needed support. And that gave you a chance to rekindle and relive your relationships throughout your life. That is so well put, Jim. I can't, I cannot say it any better. That's exactly what happened. And life has a way of coming full circle. You've heard that cliche before, but this, if I, if I can never give you a better example than this, Jim, that this, this was an example and, you know, there was 75 years between the first moment I laid eyes on my sister to the last, and I was there for her dying breath, Jim. Well, Super Dave, this was a heart-wrenching, emotional, excellent story. And, you know, I really appreciate you sharing it. And as a guest and a veteran of the podcast, and by the way, the people that are listening to this that usually tune into the Jim and Super Dave show about um, about the NBA, Davis had his hands full the last couple of months dealing with a lot of issues with his sisters. So we're going to continue doing the uh, NBA podcast uh, in the near future. Hopefully, Dave, you can come on next week or maybe the week after and we can pick up because there's a lot going on in the NBA. Oh, but Dave, what would you like to say in summation? You know, you're a veteran of these podcasts. And what would you like to say about your sister, memories, the 50s, 60s? You got an open mic. It's all yours. Well, I'd like to start off by, by focusing on yourself, Jim, that, that you would be so adroit as to think of uh, – and I, like I said, I wasn't my idea, but you have a way of taking topics that interest you through life and, and putting them in a podcast form. And what I'd like to tell the, the, the listening audience that the, the beauty of the podcast, as I see it, is a throwback to what I shared at the beginning of this podcast and my experience 